0: 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the subject today, the cross of Christ. Let's bow together in prayer as we get into this study. Our Father, we thank thee for the privilege of studying the word of God. We pray that just now the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. May someone who has never known Christ come to know him and trust him and love him and serve him today. And may every believer begin to walk in the light of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Because we're in a January Bible conference and the Word of God is so powerful and potent, I want to read these 31 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to begin with verse 10 because last Wednesday night we discussed the first nine verses. We want to begin with verse 10 today. So open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, By them who are of the house of Chloe that there are contentions among you now this I say that every one of you saith I am of Paul or I of Apollos or I of Cephas or I of Christ is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul I thank God That I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. I wish you would underscore that verse, that phrase. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ, crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Gentiles foolishness. But unto them who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men for you see your calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and base things of this world And things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord lest the cross of Christ should be of, made of none effect the book of 1st Corinthians was written about 56 AD if <clears throat> you try to remember that Jesus was crucified in the year 30 33 along in there you notice this was a little over 20 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Paul wrote it at the close of a three-year ministry in the city of Ephesus. He wanted to come to Corinth very, very much. It was his desire. We read in the 16th chapter that he sort of was in a strait betwixt two. He wanted to come. He wanted to be there. But he felt impressed to stay in Ephesus. And so he wrote, I will winter here for there is a great and effectual door opened unto me and there are many adversaries so he wrote the little book of first corinthians to straighten out some problems the church was oppressed with troubles and divisions immorality false doctrine in regard to the way of salvation tongues healing getting drunk at the lord's supper all kinds of things and incidentally we'll be discussing these As we study 1st Corinthians I hope you will not miss any of the sessions Tuesday night we will be discussing chapters 12 13 and 14 the gifts of the Spirit tongues or proclamation of the word which as we talk about chapters 12 13 and 14 almost any problem that a church has ever had is covered in First Corinthians. And as disappointed as Paul was in that church that he had founded and he had prayed over and sort of bled over and worked over and he loved them and he, he, he went on in his missionary ministry and, and learned all the problems that were developing in that church. And as disappointed as he was, I have to tell you, I'm almost glad it happened. As we stand in the 20th century, looking back, had those problems not developed then, we wouldn't have known how to deal with them through the centuries. And when we read 1 Corinthians in the light of that and recognize that The way paul approaches that church with all of its problems is with gentleness and meekness and kindness and long-suffering and yet with firmness and straightforward teaching we can get some understanding today in how to deal with all the problems that churches today face we're living in an age of the cults we're living in an age when churches that once were anchored to to true doctrine are often tangents and difficult passages. They've, They've sort of gotten out of context and have made them major themes, and Christendom is confused. So as we look at this, let's look at it carefully and prayerfully. In this first chapter, first of all, we want to see the Corinthian confession. We go back to verses four to nine that we studied last Wednesday night. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything you're enriched by him in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in that passage, almost in a backdoor fashion, the Holy Spirit through Paul sneaks into those Corinthians and says, here's the foundation upon which your, your movement was built. Here it is. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand the Corinthian confession consisted of maybe three things number one grace verse 4 I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you these Corinthian Christians were saved by grace beloved if you're saved today you're saved by the grace of God not of works lest any man should boast we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are born into the family of God, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And if you have any hope for heaven, if you have any hope For peace and pardon and purpose in your life today, that hope is based on the grace of God. And grace is God's unmerited favor to you. We didn't deserve it. If we could be saved by being good, we would deserve it. If we could be saved by giving the church a thousand dollars or a billion dollars, and I wish somebody would do that, that wouldn't save you wouldn't have anything to do with getting you to heaven. But if we could be saved by doing that, we'd feel like we deserved to get to heaven. If we could be saved by getting baptized or taking the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do tonight, then we would be doing something. And we could say, I deserve that. I deserve to go to heaven because look, at the, I was baptized and I took the Lord's Supper and I gave to the church and I did a thousand and one things. And we could say, now, okay, God, I bargained with you. I do these things. Now you save me. But my beloved friend, grace is a disarming doctrine. It humbles us. The ground is level at the cross. We're not saved by being good. We're not saved because we got some things done to us or because we did some things. We're saved by grace. Someday the silver cord will break I shall No more as now shall sing, but all oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Are you saved today? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Now that was the Corinthian confession. Secondly, the Corinthian confession was a confession concerning the coming of the Lord. Look in verse 7, So that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless. The Corinthian Christians believed in the coming of Jesus. Jesus was coming again. And the Corinthian Christians didn't have any trouble with that. Matter of fact, of all the doctrines that they had problems with, that wasn't one of them. Now they were confused about the resurrection. Good chapter 15 next Sunday morning. We'll see how they were confused about the resurrection. Some of them didn't even believe in a resurrection. But their foundation was built on the glorious coming of Jesus. And my friend, when you trust Jesus as your personal Savior, that's the beginning. The consummation is when we see Him. And we'll either see Him at death. And I don't know when that will come for any of us any moment any hour or we will see him when he comes again and that could be any moment any hour and so we need to be ready that was the Corinthian confession and Paul was saying that you may be blameless in the light of his glorious coming and the third confession was the the faithfulness of God look look at that verse verse 9 God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. And in verse 8 he said, he will confirm this. He will confirm your faith. My friend, when you put your trust in Jesus, he said, I'll never cast you out. A mother may cast aside her little sucking baby, her little nursing baby. And we've seen that happen. Right here in this city, a little baby deserted on a doorstep. In other cities, a baby put in a garbage can. Or some baby left on a door somewhere. Jesus said, I'll never do that to you. I'll never do it to you. I'll never, never do that to you. Now, my beloved friend, we're not saved or kept saved by what we have done, but by what he did. And that was the Corinthian Confession. They believed that and Paul is just reminding them of it now for a few moments let's look at the Corinthian confusion the Corinthian confusion we begin in verse 10 Paul says I've heard by the household of Chloe that there are divisions among you why some of you are saying uh, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ they were divided Now, what did all this mean? We almost have to understand what those teachers stood for, what those men of God stood for, in order to understand something about what the confusion was over. Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles, and he preached salvation by grace through faith, and they even hauled him before the Jerusalem conference one time and and, and sort of thoroughly investigated what he was preaching and teaching, and finally the apostles said, well, he's doing the right thing. We understand what Paul is saying and and he's telling that you must be born again and salvation is just by grace through faith. You do not have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. And Paul was preaching that. He preached that there was freedom in Christ. But some of his followers, believing that, began to teach that since we're free and we're saved by grace through faith and we don't have to keep the law, that therefore we have a license to do whatever we want to do. You've heard it, haven't you? People are still saying that. Well, you Baptists teach that you're saved by grace through faith and, and you're going to go to heaven and that you're kept by the power of God and therefore you can get saved and go out and live like the devil and still go to heaven. You ever heard them say that about us? They say that. That's what, you see, that's what they were saying here. And they were sort of dividing up teams. Said, well, I'm over here, I'm a, I'm a Paul. And I was saved by grace, and I can live like I want to live. And all the rest of Corinthians rebukes that. There were others who said, well, I'm of Apollos. Now, Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria. Alexandria was a cultural and intellectual center. And we have some secular books and some extra-biblical books, books that are not canonical they're not part of the inspired word that give us some insight on what was going on in Alexandria Alexandria was a hotbed for allegorism and they would take scriptures and and uh, almost make a philosophy out of them and it was the the uh, Apollos branch that that led the church into almost an intellectual approach to the doctrines of Christ and a philosophical approach. And they were sitting back smug and self-righteous, and they had the intellectual prowess. And salvation didn't really change their living because they were way up here anyway. They just sort of looked down their noses at everybody else. And all the rest of Corinthians rebukes that doctrine. Now Cephas was Peter. And he was a precious Jew and you know that he's the one that Paul had to withstand to his face one day over this matter of whether you're free in Christ and Cephas was having some followers come along and say well you have to keep the whole Jewish law if you're going to be a Christian because after all Jesus was a Jew and he kept the Sabbath, and he uh, did all these things, and he, was, uh, he, he went to the synagogue. And, and uh, if you want to be a Christian, it's all right to trust in Jesus, but you have to have the law first, too. Now, Peter himself didn't believe that, but his followers began to teach that. Do you get a picture of what was going on in Corinth, in that church at Corinth? All kinds of confusion. Here was a group that said we're saved by grace to make a difference how you live. Here's another group that says, well, salvation is an intellectual approach to things. Here was another group that said, well, it's alright to believe in Jesus, but you have to keep the law. And then there was another group, and incidentally, the way you read this in the Greek, it could be a little different. Paul may be saying, some of you say, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, but I'm of Christ couldn't be that Paul was saying it like that. Maybe more likely Paul was saying there's another little sect, another little group who say, well, I'm not of Paul's. I'm not of Paul. I'm not of Peter. I'm of Christ. And they were proud of themselves. They were a self-righteous group who said, none of these leaders mean anything to me. I just am of Jesus. And we've got them today like Say the same thing. And the rest of the book rebukes that doctrine. That was part of the Corinthian confusion. They were divided over leadership. Now, for a moment, I want you to look at the Corinthian karugma. The word karugma means preaching. The Corinthian karugma, the early preaching of the Lord's church. Paul begins it in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? for after that in the wisdom of god the world by wisdom knew not god it pleased god by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe for the jews require sign the greeks seek after wisdom but we preach christ crucified christ crucified that was the corinthian caruga a close study of the early church some of the sermons that are listed in acts and the other passages will reveal five great truths about the preaching of the early church. Number one, they would preach the great promised time of God has come. God made a promise. We're seeing the fulfillment of that promise. Secondly, they preached the summary of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and announced it over and over and over and over. You can't find a sermon in the New Testament where they just talked about some theme and left Jesus out. Where they gave a newspaper report or a book report or did something else. They were always talking about Jesus, that he died and was buried and was raised again. And somebody would say, well, Paul, I already heard that. Uh, Don't tell tell me something different. And Paul said, I don't have anything different. That is our hope. and My friend, if you want some different hope from that, you'll have to get it somewhere else. That's what Paul was saying. My hope is in Christ and the karugma of that early church, the preaching of that early church was the preaching of the cross. And Jesus paid it all. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That was their, that was their sermon. And that was their song. And then I want us to see, last of all, the Corinthian coronation. Oh, what a precious truth. Beginning in verse 26, you see the calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. You have Paul, Are you of Cephas? Are you of Apollos? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But let our glorying be in Christ. Paul, you mean you're asking me to go out and knock on some doors and tell people that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus died and was buried, and three days later he was raised from the grave, and he's the hope? Yeah, that's what I'm asking you to do. Well, but Paul, that's so simple that's so why that's so so foolish people won't believe it Paul said to the Jews it's a stumbling block it's okay the Jews seek after sin, the Greeks seek after wisdom but to those that will believe it's the power of God oh my friend you want to win people to Jesus in 1984 give them the You want to see people get saved? Go out with a heart burdened for souls and just simply tell that old story. Why you say, preacher, people get tired of it. There's a man in our audience this morning that I love very, very much. I've told this story before. I like to tell it. Years and years and years ago when I first came to Glendale, I suppose it was 1958, this man visited our church and I got him on my heart I went over to visit him and uh, talked to him about Jesus I told him how to be saved he wouldn't trust Christ I went back the next week I told him about Jesus gave him the same verses I'd given him before he wouldn't trust Christ I went back the next week and the next and the next and the next and brethren I didn't know any new message to tell I didn't have good news for modern man and the living Bible and all these other versions that I could have gone back and said, well, I want to make it a little simpler to you, a little clearer. I didn't do all that. I just went back with my old King James Version, sat down with him and showed him from the Bible how to be saved. He didn't trust Christ. Week after week after week after week and I prayed for him. I loved that guy and his family. Still do. One night... We were having visitation. And there was a church in Bowling Green that was having a revival meeting. And there was a preacher there. And it was the only night in the week that I could possibly have heard that preacher. And I wanted to hear him. And I want to just tell you in advance that I just, I never do this. But that night, the devil put this in my mind. When up, Richard. You get them all together and. Send them out on teams and then you go by yourself tonight and then you go over to that church and you can hear that preacher preach what's there's no sin in going to hear a preacher preach is there i think you ought to do it once in a while but not on the night when god tells you to go soul winning. <clears throat> so i went across town had my bible in my hand i got out started up to the door of that church and jesus said richard you better go see that man tonight why i said lord i've been to see him 13 weeks I want to hear this man preach Jesus said you better go talk to him tonight I got up on the porch of that church I turned around went back and got in my car Now, people some of the people knew me, they must have thought I was crazy I never did ask them what they thought never did stop to ask I got back in my car, drove down on that street drove in front of the house <clears throat> and the devil said don't go in there you'll make a fool of yourself you've been there so I drove on down the street. And Jesus said, you better go back and talk to him. I drove back, got in front of the house. The devil said, don't go in tonight. He'll just think you're foolish and he, you'll get, the family will get upset with you. They won't want you to come. So I drove on down the street. And, and the Lord said, you better go back. That happened a bunch of times. And I drove up and down that street, up and down that street. There was a railroad on that street and it made bumps. And I bumped up and down that railroad every time I crossed it. And finally the Lord said you go back and I went back and jumped out of my car before the devil could say anything else and I went up and knocked on the door and his wife came to the door I said I want to see your husband oh he's in the backyard working on lanterns he's getting ready to go fishing I said well I want to see him it's the first time I'd ever done that I just pushed right through the house walked right on through the house I didn't know whether it was clean or dirty I didn't even look went on out the back door and there he was Kneeling on the concrete, fixing his lanterns to go fishing. and brother and I didn't say anything except, "Jesus loves you." And God wants to save you." I think I gave him John 3:16. It was dark. We couldn't look at the Bible. That night, he gave his heart to Christ. The next Sunday he came and made it public. He's here in this service today. Oh, my friend. You want to tell people about Jesus? You want people to get saved? Just go give them the gospel. That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthian Christians. And my friend, that's what will save you today. If you're here without God, if you're listening to by radio today and you're not saved, open your heart to Jesus. Let Jesus come into your heart. And I want to appeal to God's people. This is soul winning commitment day. I want to appeal to God's people. Would you today make a commitment to say, Lord, by the grace of God, in 1984, I want you to use me. Use me, Lord, to reach some soul for Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our hearts bowed before God, I want to ask the organist to play that old song, Must I Go and Empty-Handed Brother Jim, you tell the choir what page it is and find it there. Must I thus my Savior meet? Not one soul with which to greet him lay no trophy at his feet. And for just a few moments, I want to ask you to do something. Beloved, if you're here today, second Sunday of this year, you'd be willing to say, Lord, please use me. I want you to use me to win souls to Christ this year that's my heart's desire that's my concern lord help me to reach somebody for jesus and i want to make that act of commitment lord i want to be a soul winner more than almost anything else use me please you may think that i'm asking you to do something foolish I prayed over it, and I believe this is what God wants us to do. If you'd be willing to say, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but if you'd be willing to say, Lord, use me to win somebody to Christ this year. Nobody looking. Would you just get up and come down here and kneel at this altar and ask God for that kind of soul-winning power that will enable you to do it. Just get up now. Nobody looking our eyes closed, heads bowed not trying to embarrass anybody but if God put it on your heart would you do that? you want to win someone to Jesus God help me to give them that old story of the cross that Jesus saves and that's what your heart's desire is tell the Lord about it just pour your heart out to God for a moment you pray that God will use you. You do that, will you? And while we pray, oh, my friend, if you're without Jesus today, you've never trusted Him as your Savior, I want to plead with you to open your heart to Christ just as you are without one hesitation. But would you say, Lord, I need you And I believe the cross of Christ. Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. He did it for me. I believe today and I want to be saved. Would you tell God that right where you are? Now, Father, you've looked into our hearts. You know all about us. We plead with you today to use these who are kneeling at the altar. Probably some others back in the pews that would say, Lord, please use me to win someone to Jesus. Please use me. And Lord, may we be willing to pay the price keeping the message simple, believing confidentially in God's Word, having confidence in God's Word, giving them the gospel, And then trusting the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he wants done. Lord, send revival. And as we kneel before you, it may be we need to confess some sins. We need to turn from some old ways of careless living or careless thinking or too much entertainment or too much of the television or the movies or something else. Lord, may we fix our minds on Jesus and have upon our hearts the winning of precious people to God. God, grant that. Now, while we remain in prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed, I wonder if there's somebody here today who is not saved. You've never given your heart to Jesus and you'd like to say, pray for me. I need Jesus as my Savior. Would you slip your hand up and hold it just a moment, wherever you are? I'm not a Christian. I'd like to be saved. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up and hold it a moment and then take it back down? Is there somebody as we wait just a moment? All right. Now, Father, you've seen our hearts. Have thy way in the closing moment of this service in Jesus' name. Remain in prayer, those who are here at the front. Would you very quietly go back to your place? You've told God what was on your heart no one still looking with our eyes closed and heads bowed we're going to sing that hymn must I go an empty handed and we're going to have a brief invitation if you're here without Jesus you've never been saved I urge you to come to Christ and if you're already God's child you need a church home do what God tells you to do about making Glendale your church home will you do it and maybe somebody here who needs a recommitment of your life to Jesus, do what God tells you to do. While we stand and sing, what's the number of our song? 418. Let's stand, please. Number 418. Must I go in empty-handed? Would you step out for God during the singing of this first stanza? Who will come and say, by the grace of God, I want to give my heart to Christ? Or I've been cold, haven't been as close to God as ought to have been. And I need to get back to the Lord or I need to move my letter and become part of this church family. Do what Jesus tells you to do while we wait and pray in his name. Will you do it?